Hello, my name is Robert Oglesby. And as you can tell, I'm not your regular preacher. Travis is not able to be with you today. I hope he will be soon, but uh, he asked if I would to uh, share a message with you today and hope that uh, it'll be a blessing to you. I want to set uh, the context of how Travis and I know each other. I was his professor at ACU and taught him a lot about ministry uh, there. And I want you to be aware of two things. Number one, Anything that he does in a great way is fantastic in ministry, has blessed you, that was me. Um, and you're welcome. Uh, anything, though, that he does not do well, if he really is just doing a terrible job in ministry in those areas, I want you to know he was not taking notes that day, nor was he paying very close attention. So, I want you to be aware of that right off the bat. But I hope Travis and Laura are getting better soon. Uh, to be back with you together. I love them, and I know you do, and hope that uh, you realize what a blessing you have to have those two uh, working with you at Heritage. Uh, this is a strange time that we're in. Uh, I don't know about you. I thought this little virus deal would kind of disappear after a few weeks and uh, maybe a month at the most, and now it's gone not only weeks, but months and months and months, and you're probably feeling a little confined uh, in your life. Uh, that stay-at-home order uh, has gotten tough at times. Uh, eating at home, uh, out of your own kitchen, cooking all your meals, uh, it's a little confining at times. And I don't know if any of you uh, have ever had uh, claustrophobia. My wife uh, kind of suffers from that. She cannot be in an enclosed space. And I've kind of made fun of her from time to time and said, you know, uh, that's a ridiculous thing. That's irrational. But she just flat cannot be in a tight space where she can't get out. And this was all funny until I went to the arch up in St. Louis. And that big, huge arch that, that uh, you can actually ride a little bubble up in uh, is there. And I was there on a hot day, and so it was really steamy. And they put you in inside a little bubble with six other people. And they send you up. But the, the bubble goes up very, very slowly. And there's only one tiny little window you can see the metal of the inside of the arch, and that's all you can see. And the seating is cramped, and they put an extremely large family in with my wife and I. Now, I was worried about her, and I was thinking, she cannot tell, take this confinement. And about halfway up, it hit me. I was thinking, there's not enough oxygen in here. It's getting hotter and hotter. There must be no airflow. We're gonna die. If this, what if this thing gets stuck halfway up? And there's, I could see there were no stairs to get us up and down. Uh, and the panic began to rise in my heart. And claustrophobia and confinement was not funny anymore. So uh, I began to understand and be a little more sympathetic uh, to my wife and what she felt. But we're all feeling a little confined. And the story that I wanna share with you today is about the children of Israel and their confinement. But I want you to know that they had been on a 400 plus year marathon of confinement. They had been in Egypt a long, long, long time. And it was difficult to even pray after 400 years of saying, Lord, get us out of here. But they kept praying that prayer. And we tend many times as we look at this story, we tend to focus on the confinement part. But I wanna move from confinement to talk about their refinement because I think that's what the storyline is for us 
and I think it may have some things that uh, will help us at this time. So the story had gone on. They had been, been slaves there in Egypt for a long, long time until finally Moses comes. And Moses uh, had to do a little battle with the Pharaoh, and finally Pharaoh says, okay, get out. And uh, there's an interesting little verse in chapter 12, verse 33, in which not only has Pharaoh said, I want you out of here, but the whole nation says, get out. We want you out of here. We don't want you around here anymore. We're all going to die if you guys don't get out of here. And so all of a sudden, the children of Israel uh, see that it's not just a, a top-level decision. The whole nation wants them out of there. And the Israelites are not moving very quickly at that time. They were saying it's going to take us a while to pack up and get going. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians start saying, what do you need, what do you need? And the Israelites start saying, I think we need some silver. I think we need some gold. And, oh, that little khaki robe, that will look great in the desert. I need that robe. And the Egyptians were giving it to them left and right. All sorts of stuff was being uh, given away to the Israelites. And it says literally that they were plundering the Egyptians without ever raising a sword. They just kept staying and staying. So finally, they have their freedom. It is what they have been praying for for 400 plus years. Nobody's going to tell them what to do anymore. They finally have a yes from God. And look what happens. As they leave the promised land, leave, leave Egypt for the promised land, the promised land was only 100 miles away. But if you'll notice, God doesn't take them the most direct route. Because if they went the direct route, they would run right into Philistine territory. And God knew what was best for his children's faltering steps. Uh, the Philistines were mean. They were scary. And, and it, the scripture says that God knew that if he took them that route, that they would turn back immediately and head right back to Egypt, right back to where they didn't want to be and had been praying forever. And you, and you start to see God knows his people. He knew them as a nation. He knew them as individuals. And here he is saying, I am strategically not going to let them experience this uh, challenge. If they had to fight their way to the promised land, they would have never gotten there. And he knew what was best for his children, even though they didn't know. They were probably wondering, why are we going this route? This is not the quickest way. I guarantee you all the men were saying, there, there's a quicker way. We, we can go this way, but God takes him another way. And in that, like God, he's someone who has that overarching picture. He can see from as far as the east is from the west. Uh, I, I love the story of the football coach one time that his team was about to win. They were uh, head, hopefully heading to the playoffs. And their last game, they were hit by two points with about 10 seconds left in the game. Their side of the, of the stadium was, was going crazy. They were about to win the game, and the quarterback comes over the sideline after a timeout, and the coach says to him, son, I want you to listen to me. When you get back on the field, you're going to hike the ball, and you're going to run backwards, and you're going to fall in the end zone because they were behind, they were ahead by two points. And the quarterback said, no, no coach, we're, we're going to win the game if we'll just Take a knee. And the coach said, listen to me. I want you to take that ball, and I want you to run backwards into the end zone and fall down. And it's going to be a safety. 
And the quarterback kept arguing with him, and finally he said, son, do what I said. And so imagine being at the football stadium, and you're in the crowd, and everybody's screaming and yelling that your team's about to win, you're going to go 10, 9, 8, 7, and all of a sudden your quarterback starts going to the end zone. And he runs the end zone, and he falls down, and it's now a tie game. Well, what nobody knew and hadn't thought about is in order for them to get in the playoffs, they had to win by more than four points. And what the coach did was he tied the game up so that he could eventually win the game by seven points and his team would go to the playoffs and the other team would not. Well, isn't that like God? He sees a bigger picture than we ever will. And sometimes we're thinking, I don't know about that, but he does. And so God knew his children had their eyes on the promised land. They knew that was where they're headed. The problem was their hearts were still in Egypt. The confinement that they had experienced there had weakened them. I think uh, I heard a deal the other day about ICU units, and especially with this virus stuff, and they said for every day in ICU, it will cost a person one week of rehab when they get out of ICU. So when you talk about seven days in ICU, you're talking seven weeks of rehab. Well, the Lord knew his people needed help. They were weakened by confinement. They had, been condition, had conditioned themselves to think like slaves, and they were worried more about Egyptian masters than their almighty God. And so we have other examples throughout the Bible of people who have backward thinking, uh, and God knew that they were going to have a tendency to turn back to what they knew in Egypt compared to what they didn't know about the promised land. And uh, there, there are examples like, uh, you remember Lot's wife, uh, who was there in Sodom, and as they're leaving, told to get out of Sodom, it's going to be destroyed. And yet there was something about her desire for Sodom that caused her to look back just one time, and it cost her her life. Uh, I don't know about you, but during this confinement, I've learned a few things about myself. Uh, I've learned I love sports probably more than I want to or should. Uh, at this point in time, I would love to watch a junior high miniature golf tournament at this point. I would, I would watch NASCAR where the cars go around the same direction over and over 500 times. I, I, I could even watch soccer and, and watch a thrilling one to zero game for hours. Uh, at this point. I found that out about myself. And the confinement has uh, taught me some of those things. So one of the things that you're going to have to to wrestle with is what has gotten weaker in your confinement? What have you learned about yourself? Uh, what's gotten stronger in your, your confinement? Because you see, God's going to have to help all of us when this is all over. Uh, God had to give His children a crash course in dependence on him, not on Egyptian masters. So God leads them out. He leads them to a geographical dead-end street. And watch what happens the minute the Egyptians are show up in the rearview mirror. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 10. It says there, uh, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. 
They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Well, how about that? See how their tune changed because of fear and fatigue. And you sense that they still thought like slaves. I just want to make bricks. Uh, I felt needed there back in Egypt. We loved Egypt. Uh, I had fulfilling work. I was fulfilled man, fulfilled woman doing what the Egyptians told me to do because it was secure and consistent. Well, fear tends to make us think exactly that way. And God does what God always does. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be with you. And he gave him a cloud during the day. And he gave a pillar of fire at night to say, I'm with you. It was a huge, gigantic nightlight for his people to go, I'm here. I'm with you. I am for you. But it says that they panicked. And they continued to panic as the chariots got closer and closer. Uh, scripture says that, that the angel that was leading them in the cloud moved from the front and moved around to the back. And as they moved to the back of the people, God caused darkness to be on the Egyptian side and light on the Israelite side. And then as they removed that even, uh, the children of Israel headed, kept heading toward the Red Sea and here came the Egyptians and all of a sudden the Egyptians are riding their chariots and they're going, going along and all of a sudden for no reason whatsoever except we know the reason, the wheels of the chariots start falling off. And Scripture says the Egyptians knew exactly what was going on. They didn't blame the Israelites. They didn't say, hey, man, these guys are military geniuses. They're getting our chariot wheels to fall off. They recognized God was behind their wheels falling off. And they said, we're not fighting against Israelites. We are fighting against their God. What the Israelites couldn't see, the Egyptians could. And it was too late by the time they recognized it because the Lord allowed the waters to come back together and drown all the Egyptians. Well, God continued to put them in the wilderness classroom. And He had some things to uh, share with them. And uh, I want you to turn again, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is a recounting by Moses of what the purpose was behind everything God did regarding this exodus and how he was trying to help them, especially in those few years right after they crossed the Red Sea. Chapter 8, verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Do you see it? Do you see the refinement? 
We focus on the confinement back in Egypt, but man, the refinement he was doing with his people, training them, teaching them every single day by how he did things. They, they had the huge Red Sea deal. That was awesome. They knew they were going to make a big movie about that with Charlton Heston and everything, and that was going to be spectacular, and you would think, that's enough. We've got a God. Then he gives them a, a pillar and it's a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. And you would think that's enough. And he has nightness, night and dark on one side where the Egyptians are, right up against light. How do you do that? And how do you not believe? But they didn't. And it wasn't just a few steps into the wilderness. They start saying things like, we're thirsty. We're hungry. And he has water coming out of rocks. And you would think that's enough. And they say, we're hungry. And he says, I'm going to give you this thing called manna. That's going to fall every day. Now, why didn't he just have it all fall on Monday and get enough for the week? And he deliberately, it seems, has them go out there and pick just enough for how long? For today. Hmm. And what would happen if they tried to pick up more than one day's worth? Spoiled. Have you ever tried to pick up more? Have you ever said, I'm not satisfied with a day? You got to tell me what's going to happen five years from now, Lord? Doesn't work very well. Lord just says, let's work off the next 24 hours. And he literally trains them. After their confinement, the refinement begins. Pick up enough for today. I'm going to take care of you. I love you. Water, I'm thirsty. You have water for today. I'm here. I love you. And throughout that journey in the wilderness, I want you to know that they learned. And you may wonder, now how come Moses seemed to be so calm during this whole deal? Uh, he goes through the wilderness, does this 40 years with all these folks, and man, I would have gone crazy with all these people. Well, I would too. But remember, Moses had already had his time in the wilderness. D.L. Moody described Moses' life this way. First 40 years, he thought he was somebody as he grew up in the Egyptian household. The second 40 years, he found out he was a nobody and he was out in the wilderness. And the third 40 years, he found out what God can do with a nobody. But in order to do that last 40, he spent 40 in the wilderness. 40 years. Hanging out with sheep, taking care of sheep. Great training for taking care of a bunch of people. And the bottom line is, Moses had been there. Moses got a major graduate degree in the wilderness. So I'm going to tell you right now, don't fear the wilderness. Fear that you won't learn the lesson that God has called you to learn. It's going to be interesting. It'll be individual. There'll be some things you'll learn as a church, and there'll be some things that you will learn as individuals. Uh, we see in Deuteronomy 8, he brought up things about they needed to be humble. I needed to find out if they'd obey me time after time after time. Would they listen to my words and understand that my words were, would bring them life even better than the manna that I sent them from heaven? Would they pay attention? Would they listen to my instructions? Does the Lord have to uh, find that out about you, about me, 
Probably so. Um, there's a big question out there, and I, I get it on my phone lines at ACU quite often, is what's going to happen to the church? Is it, is it going to last? Is it going to thrive? Is it going to make it back? Is everyone just going to stay home the rest of their days? And will the churches survive? It's a good question. And the question is, will we learn some lessons when we come out of our confinement? Uh, I think it will, folks. I think as long as God's in charge, I think God will make that church survive, and I'm not too worried about it. I think it'll come back. It may be slow for some people, but if we are all looking to the heavens and asking the question, what now, Lord? We'll get through this, and it'll be a, it'll be a good thing. Second thing I want you to understand is the wilderness is not a place that you want to wander in forever, and I know that's good news. You're called to journey through it, not stay in it. But uh, let me tell you this, nobody... But nobody gets to the promised land unless they go through the wilderness first. And the destination is worth it. The destination is worth it. So hang on during this confinement. Get ready for the refinement that's up ahead. And most importantly, get yourself ready to learn. Ask yourself the question, what are the lessons that I am called to learn today? What do I need to be working on from the minute I get out of my confinement to help me walk in the mission of God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time with these good folks, and I know I don't know their names. I know they don't know me, but I pray that they will be encouraged to uh, continue their walk and not let fear nor fatigue discourage them. Uh, help them to know that you are still in charge and you are still caring about them and you are worrying about the next 24 hours with them. I pray that they will uh, talk to you, share their worries and concerns with you, and then leave them at your throne room and let you take care of it. I pray that you'll be with Travis and Laura, help them in their health uh, to be back with this good church family soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for the time, and I hope you'll be blessed this week.